Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today we have a lot of very important decisions to make. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. And I am Inon. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. I believe that a lot of people have expected today's episode to be the Cowboy Bebop episode, which is Yay. understandable, as that is what we said in our last episode. But we're sorry, uh, we've decided to bump the Cowboy Bebop episode so that we could do this Culture Quest Essentials Guide oh. special. Don't be sad. Yay! <laughs> I wanted to, to bring the whole, you know, experience of... The emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, last episode, after the Jurassic Park discussion, we have inaugurated the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, or the Guide, or the CQEG, or the Quag. Quag. The Guide in Time uh, will become a figurative collection of what we feel is essential for a person of culture. Um, Jurassic Park was the first thing to be voted into the Quag, as, uh, well, <laughs> it is the first thing we've ever voted on. And we've mentioned that we should find a way to include subjects we've talked about in the past before the guide existed. And so we've decided to use this episode in order to explain what the guide is and to talk about everything we've done up until Jurassic Park and see what deserves a place in the guide. Um, so allow me to explain what the guide is in a bit more detail, and uh, then we'll get into the votes. So the guide came to be because we figured that by... Doing this podcast by going on this quest, we're trying all kinds of different things, like major things that we've missed, like Jurassic Park or um, the Beach Boys pet sounds or things that are way out of our comfort zones, like classical music or meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And up until now, I think it's safe to say that we've been having a lot of fun. Like even when we're doing things that we don't all really end up loving, It's a lot of fun to just discuss these things and see what we learn from them. But up until now, it's all been a bit up in the air. We have our discussions and then we move on. So by inducting the things that we deem essential uh, to a person of culture into the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, our conversations will be a bit more productive in a way. Like there will be measurable results. And, you know, starting with Jurassic Park, continuing with this episode, and for as long as we're going to do this podcast, we will decide whether the subject of each episode is worthy of a very prestigious mention in our Essentials Guide. At least for now, uh, this information will be presented in a fairly simple way on our website. I'm going to put a link on our website to a Google Sheets file that will be updated every time we vote. And maybe down the line, we'll think of a more fitting way to present this information. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, like tattooing it on our backs or something. <laughs> uploading a picture. Um, so, but anyway, we hope that this guide will slowly become a collection of things that we've tried and thought they're essential for anyone who wants to be a little more refined. Um, we will decide what to include in the guide by taking a vote at the end of each episode Uh, we will each take a minute or so to state our case, both the positive and the negative, if we still wish, and then we would vote. And we would vote by whether or not we feel that the subject matter is a major cultural milestone, by whether we've learned a lot from it or not, by whether we feel it's an important step towards a life of culture. And personal opinions would be taken into consideration. Uh, it's... It's up to each of us to decide what weight to give our opinions. Like, I myself am going to try to be objective about things, but I'm sure every once in a while my feelings about something would weigh upon my decisions, you know. Um, have you guys thought about how are you going to approach this? Yeah, the I think just any time 
I try to be objective. I just realize it's just, I, I don't know why I try to be as objective as I am sometimes, because there's nothing wrong with being subjective. That's where all the interesting stuff happens. But I, I want to be subjective, but I also want to use sort of a, um, like a principle-based approach. You know, mm. I don't want to, I don't want to just say cause, because they're my favorite actor, it's going to be in the guide. I, I, I want to base it on um, uniqueness and I want to base it on if it's, if it's something that I would be comfortable recommending to someone without having met the person. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good one. That's the two things I'm looking for because, because some things are really good. It's just some of them aren't unique enough, you know? Um, for instance, the ones that come to mind is the Mission Impossible series with Tom Cruise. I really like them and I would recommend them to most people, even everyone. But to say you need to watch them is... I just think there's too many, like, there's so many good Bond movies and Jason Bourne movies. I don't think they're essential, but I, I think they're very good. I'm just going to go with my with my intuition here. So you're going to go with, uh, with your heart, and uh, if personal feelings get involved, it's okay. If they don't, that's fine. Yeah, like, I understand what Peter said about, about trying to be objective, but I, I don't think that I can make an observation like i'm an observer who makes an observation I, i can't really take myself out of the equation so i'm gonna just go with it and and you know try to spec it according to my personal thoughts but you know you should always take these things with a grain of salt right yeah. i think there's no wrong way to approach this like it's up to you uh, as long as you can look yourself in the eyes later I- i'm okay with this we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of a mustache for Nate. And to be inducted into the Quag, the vote must be unanimous. Now, subject will be inducted into the guide only with three hat tips across the board. I think that basically covers everything. So, my friends, let's vote. Oh, you know what? Before we start voting, I just want to quickly mention, first of all, we're obviously making culture quest history today. Uh, <laughs> a mention in the Quag is an esteemed award, But also, I didn't think it would happen so soon, but there are two very interesting scenarios that may play out today in which we induct someone into the guide who's already in the guide. Like Jurassic Park? Yeah, so Jurassic Park is in there, uh, which means that if we vote Jaws in, it would be the second Steven Spielberg movie to be mentioned in the guide. Um, and also, if we vote Hunt for the Wilder People in, that would be the second time that Sam Neill would be mentioned in the guide. Like, he also stars in Jurassic Park. I think this is all very exciting. Obviously, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I like that, though. I like the fact that it's, we're, not, we're not diverse. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I thought we were. Like, we've done music and movies and documentaries and video games, and already we've got two possible double inductees. You know that, like, um, I guess it's not a psychology... Thing. it's more of a mathematical fact but um like if you're in an elevator with i think it's like 30 people there's like more than a rough more than a 50 chance you're going to share a birthday with someone in the elevator yeah i think the cutoff is 23 people yeah yeah it, it's that kind of diversity where it, it where we're very diverse but we, we we have this natural sort of uh what would you call repetition Yeah, I'm sure there's a big chance that, I don't know, someone who was 
an assistant on the producers, was an executive producer on Jaws or something. I don't know. And one last thing before we start. In our last episode, when we talked about voting in all the things we've uh, discussed in the past, I asked you guys, how many do you guys think will get voted in? Because like I said, I think it'll be three to four things because it's the vote has to be unanimous, so it's fairly hard to get in. Um, do you guys have any last minute guesses about that before we start? I think last time I was surprised at that. I thought it was going to be closer to like eight or nine and... Let's just say I've, I've been swayed. It's more, it's, I think it will be about three. Hmm. Barad, do you want to make a guess? How many do we have? I think 16. Yeah, we have 23 episodes, but we're not counting the four lockdown content bonus episodes. We're not counting the Anthropocene side quest, not counting the trivia episode. So that's 16. So a number, basically. A yeah, number. there's a number there. Yeah. Well, I think if we could agree on three... Yeah, maybe three. Uh, so we're all kind of in the same ballpark. Uh, let's see if we surprise ourselves. Uh, okay, let's get this thing going. Um, the first vote is going to be about the producers, the, the movie that kicked this podcast off. Uh, the producers is a Mel Brooks comedy from 1967 about a failed Broadway producer and a lonely accountant who come up with a scheme to stage the worst musical ever and cash in on the investor's expense. All right, so The Producers is by a very famous director, and it's old, which it, it shouldn't matter that it's old, but, <laughs> um, you know, if it doesn't make the list, maybe no one will ever watch it again. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> and it's it's a sort of like a Nazi satire, sort of, it's not mainly those things, but it, it's very, it's very much a comedy, it has some really great acting, and it's also... It still holds up today for the most part. There are some things that get really aged, but you can definitely still watch it today and enjoy it. I know when I watched it, I had pretty low expectations and they surprised me. And let's, I think for all those good points, I don't know if it's one of a kind. I think I would need to see more movies from 1967, but I do have an intuition that there's, is this not unique enough? Hmm. Yeah. Like, if, if I look at some other movies from sort of really early on, like, for instance, um, 12 Angry Men. That's a good movie. It is. It, it just feels to me like it was just a really good box office movie, but I don't know if there's enough meaning behind it that I would need to say you need to see this movie. So I'll leave it at that. Cool. I think I enjoyed it, and, and it definitely was, you know, like a cultural pearl. Because, again, it was one of the things that you can understand references that you saw in the past. But, yeah, well, pretty much what Peter said, I got to say. I mean, it, it was nice, but I wouldn't say, like, it's a must for... Yeah, it's just not a, not something that you got to do. Mm. You got to watch. I, like, I really love this movie. Uh, I, I'm really glad we kicked things off with that because it's, it's weird and it's funny and it, it really kind of special, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe it's because a friend of mine kept mentioning this movie for years. So like after watching it, I felt like, a I don't know, like I closed a, a substantial gap more than it really is. But here, here's one big pro for this movie, I think. Um, I think that enjoying this movie, I think that watching this movie 
opens the door to a lot of other interesting things. Um, like, uh, it requires you to take another step after watching it, but if you do start reading up about this movie, you get to kind of know about Zero Mostel, who played um, Bialystok, Max Bialystok. And, and, you know, he did a lot of other interesting things, including um, Fiddler on the Roof, which I now want to check out. If you kind of read up about Gene Wilder, who plays um, Bloom in the movie, you find out that The Producers was his first big role. He later played in a lot of movies that people love, most notably perhaps is Willy Wonka and The Chocolate Factory. And, you know, this is Mel Brooks' first movie, and he made a few other comedies that are, are supposed to be very good. Maybe I'll watch them at some point, and if I like them half as much as I did The Producers, then they're worth the time of watching. But on the other hand, I have in my notes something that is kind of like like what you two said. I, I don't know if I can call this movie essential. I'm definitely happy that I know it. I, I, I don't know if it's something that everyone should know. I kind of feel that I connected with it more than you guys did. I don't know if it's a surefire hit for, for everyone. But with that in mind, Peter, give it your vote. Mm, anything for non-mustache bearers. A scratch of your head? <laughs> mm, anything to do with the monocle, maybe? Um, I'm voting no, just so you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am voting an ominous stroke of the mustache. So, basically, we can already say that the producers is out. But just out of interest, Barrio, what, what would you have voted? Mm, stroke of the mustache, but a very respectful one. Hmm. I would have given it a tip of the hat, just so everyone knows where I stand. But, the producers, you're out. Um, the next thing uh, we've done is Deja Vu by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. A rock album that has songs written by each member of the band and mostly features the harmonizing of their voices. Deja Vu is a fantastic album. I really liked it. As I told you guys, it's on my sort of long list of rotations. So, um, behind some of like my favorite bands, this one gets, a, this one gets played quite often. And there's so many different sort of styles of ballad and of, um, intensity in this album. What really, um, makes it special is that there's four singers, four contributors, and it's one of the best, um, albums that I can think of by four people that aren't in a constant band. Because if you look through their the album releases, there's many years between, well, between releases. So it's a bit of a special occasion for me for this album, especially because it's probably one of their only albums released in the um, late 60s, early 70s period. In addition to that, some of my favorite songs are on this album, Woodstock and um, Helpless and a lot of, a lot of great hits, Carry On. And yeah, I I really, really enjoyed it. The only thing I would like to put a counterweight on is just when I think about the, the most, the greatest albums of all time, I can think of probably 30 to 50 albums to listen before this one. So um, it, it, because music is, is really quite competitive, you know, what we're still in the early stages of podcasts where if we did a podcast essentials list, there's. It's probably only ten I can I can think of to, that I would put on a list, and with with music, it I mean Rolling Stone did a did a five hundred album list or something like that. So it, it's a competitive market. Um, that's what I'll say. For me, it's actually pretty easy. I 
like listening to it. I like I enjoy talking with you about it, but definitely I don't think I've listened to it ever since. So like other than I had this one occasion where where I, I think I heard it in a bar and I felt very cultural <laughs> for recognizing it. The quest but works. Like, yeah. <laughs> but but that was just like one one in a million, so well this was it's one in a million and we this was our second episode. So we were <laughs> to try to be cultured, we were going to like deja vu themed bars to try to hear this. So um <laughs> Um, I think, like, I myself also am still listening to this album every once in a while. I really like it. I think for, you know, the fact that, like you said, Peter, it's four different creators. I think when I read about this album, I also read that they weren't together in the same room fairly often. But it's still a very consistent, very strong album. That being said, like, I, I would recommend this to, to people who are into that period of time or that kind of rock music. But I don't know if I... I don't. I don't feel like this album was a huge step towards being a more cultured person. All in all, you know, like I think it was important to me because it worked for me. I don't know if it's essential. Uh, with that in mind, Pierre, do you wanna cast your vote? I am giving it my ominous stroke of the mustache. Really? Yeah, I am. I I, I know I sort of um, duped you guys because it seemed <laughs> like I was gonna vote yes, but. You see, it, it it's essential to me because what I put in an album to be essential is it either needs to be flawless, so no songs I don't like, which is actually um, this album, or it needs to be so good that I can overlook a couple bad songs, only only a couple. And so it is essential to me. But the the the, the last point I made really does define it for me. It is is this too many albums that I would put ahead of it, and there are albums I would put into this quag but um this one just just fell short and this one is almost is it's on the precipice as well so yeah i would say that i give it an ominous shock of the mustache <laughs> i myself uh am also giving this uh an ominous stroke of a mustache which is bad I, I really like this album but all in all that's not what what this is about the next thing we've done is play dead's inside a 2016 video game puzzle platformer that is known for its dark dystopian atmosphere. It has a bit of a cult following because the game has a bunch of hidden messages and secrets that are still being figured out today. Here's what I think about this game. I think it's a very interesting, very atmospheric game. Like, it's not very long. It's like four hours to six hours. And it's not too hard. It's, it's, it's more about the experience which is cool, but I think like if you're only looking at those four to six hours of the experience, I don't know if everyone would enjoy it. But I think that if you go, again, uh, one step deeper, and you find out all about the ARG, and you start helping with solving all the puzzles and secrets and, and hidden messages and everything, this is one of the coolest things. So, so amazing the, how deep this thing goes. The game came out almost five years ago, and people are still working hard on, on finding clues in it to, to solve puzzles and stuff. I, I think it's amazing. Despite that, if you're not interested in all of that, if you're not into that type of game, if you're not into that type of atmosphere, eh, I'd skip it. Just to continue it, that's like I can't imagine who wouldn't be interested in, in that kind of thing. It's so awesome and mysterious, and it's I don't know, it's just, you know, it 
intriguing in a very deep level. And I really love games that, you know, from a dollhouse perspective, where you kind of, it's a two and a half dimension, I think, where you, you, you can only move left, right, up, down, but you experience the full depth of the world that, that you're playing in. And the attention to details in that world is so amazing and everything is so intriguing that you can't stop thinking about what exactly... And there isn't one word that is spoken throughout the entire game. So it really you know, just plays on your imagination. So I think that even if you don't necessarily ever played that kind of game, taking one of the days in the weekend and just you know playing it through and it's not that hard hard of a game right it's just an an amazing experience um yeah like i think i think you two enjoyed it more than me not just because i spent a little bit more time with it than you guys but (laughs) (laughs) i i i think i think it was really fun i would actually i don't think i've said this but i think it would really be enjoyable if if with friends Actually, I can, I can think of a few video games which are really good with friends, but this one is something which, like, if if no one's ever heard of the game, it would still be good with friends. Whereas a lot of a lot of these like first person shooters, you, all three or all all the people of the of the group sort of need to have played it before. This one would be a really good one for three people who have never played the game to all sit down together and do. And it's got so much depth, so much detail. In fact, when you said there was no word spoken, I I was like, oh yeah, there wasn't. It it feels it feels quite intimate. Yet also, um, it's so simple. Yeah, I've got a lot of good things to say, and not a lot of bad things to say actually. But video games are a tough nut to crack for me, and this one is good. But I can't say I'll ever come back to it. You both have made very strong arguments. I would say. Like I, I agree with you, Peter. It's video games are hard. Like it, it would take a lot from a video game to be essential. Uh, that being said, I do agree with Barrio. This is very deep, very interesting. There's such a big story here, not a single word uttered throughout the game. And to enjoy the the big story, like the real story behind this, uh, I don't know if it's for it or against it, but you kind of have to stumble beyond the game. Uh, you have to stumble into the ARG. Like a lot of people who have reviewed the game, they're surprised at how shallow it is because like it's not that hard and once you're done, there's not a lot of replayability, but that's because they haven't heard of the ARG. Um, I, I don't know. I think this is a very interesting case. Um, Barrett, do you want to vote first? Definitely tip of the hat. Cool, cool. I, I was expecting to vote uh, no, but I'm going to go with a, a yes for this one. I am going to go with a an inauspicious stroke of the mustache. Cool. Aww. I'm sorry, guys. I feel bad. I, I, I do feel bad. You should. If it's, if it's any solace, <laughs> if it's any solace, the non-replayability doesn't factor into it too much for me because I, I, I find, like, even with albums, if you're happy, if, if something could be essential, but maybe only essential for one listen, I think if something's just historical enough that you just have to see it once, I think that that's fine. But um, I, I just, I'm just not comfortable recommending to someone I don't know to, to, to put it in the guide. I just, 
I have recommended it to other people, actually. Nice. But I would rather know exactly who I'm talking to before I would recommend it. Yeah. Play Dead's Inside, you're out. I'll just add about it that I found myself telling the... Well, I'm not sure if you can actually call it the lore of Inside to a couple of very unrelated people. And they were all really mesmerized by, by the concept. So, so I... Okay. I don't agree with you, sir. But I respect. I feel your bad. Right. I feel really so bad. Doing it for the rest of us. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this: the fact that this is kind of a, an obscure game, like you know, if you're into video games, you've probably heard of it. But other than that, it's probably something that most people haven't heard about. Does the fact that it's obscure and you're kind of um, the cool guy who knows about the cool dark game, does it give it any, uh, I don't know, culture points at all? I'll say no, but I reserve the right to change it if it should come <laughs> up again. Because this example, it really doesn't. But yeah, if I if I if I found something else obscure, which I happen to like, really have like an inkling yeah. for. I don't know. Maybe. maybe maybe a little bit. All right. The next thing is Jaws by Steven Spielberg, a 1975 horror adventure film known by some as the first summer blockbuster, a movie that has changed the movie industry and is still referenced in many places today. Uh, like, I, I don't even think I have to say this, but this was a huge cultural gap that we've closed. Throughout my life, I've been in a situation where people were surprised that I didn't see this movie more than once. This movie is referenced fairly often, and uh, now I'll be able to get these references. Made a huge impact on the movie industry, so it's really interesting to see how this movie made a difference. One of Spielberg's earlier movies, and so far I've seen only two of his movies, but both were so very impressive and so well done. In fact, one of them is the first inductee of the Quag. And watching this movie and, you know, all the behind-the-scenes stuff is like watching the origin story of a great director. You know, on the negative side, I, I, I only have one point against this movie. I'm not sure even if it's a solid, valid one. I, I kind of feel that all of its strengths are almost the same as those of Jurassic Park, but Jurassic Park was more refined. So it might be a bit funny to have both, but the thing is, this movie changed everything, and, you know, I can maybe see how without this movie, Jurassic Park doesn't happen down the line. So th th that's how I feel about this. I think what you said um, as the origin story of a great director is basically how I feel about it. It was one of the first movies to be shot in the ocean, so there's there's that. It's it's not a it's not a big deal, but I find it's nice to have something different. You know, it's not it's not a political movie all set in offices because there's so many movies set in offices or in <laughs> in the White House or you know just through the streets of Manhattan or you know something like that. It's um it's sort of it's it's unique in the fact that oh not. Not another movie with a shark in the ocean. You know, it was it was the first one. So, yeah, for me, it's quite unique, even though it is a blockbuster movie. And also, because it's a blockbuster movie, shouldn't it shouldn't matter too much alone. For instance, a lot of the reason movies can be blockbuster is because they were marketed really well. As long as they're passable movies and they, they have a big budget. So, I don't want to base it on that, but... But there's a there's a knock-on effect where if something's so big in cinemas and such a, such a historic moment, there's going to be references which are used 
in later films that are unconnected. So Jaws obviously had, we're going to need a bigger boat, which hmm. is, if you just haven't seen it, it's just something you've you've got to see. So I'm going to agree with the Library of Congress in the United States here. <laughs> um, uh, in 2001, it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Oh, wow. Um, that says it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree If they with didn't that. have the word culturally there, then I, I, I could argue. <laughs> but <laughs> they yeah, I think <laughs> I think if any one of us doesn't give it the tip of the hat now, we're kind of like, <laughs> fail the quest. <laughs> Mara, do you want to state your case now? <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's going to be hard <laughs> after Peter, but uh, I think it still it still holds up even today. I think there's so many references to it that by watching it, you actually can enjoy other stuff. You kind of get the idea of what whoever made the other piece was thinking about or referencing to. By the way, like I think only after recording our episode, I thought about it, that it was kind of refreshing to have like this whole story with nothing uh, too big. Like, at the end, it's just this town and they have a shark. It's, like, very simple. It's nothing It's nothing about... Uh, Blowing up planets. And, yeah. Uh, it's, genocide. And, uh... Yeah, and, and, even, <laughs> and, even, and it's not, like, dinosaurs or something really supernatural. It's just, like, just a big shark. shark. Barrio, cast your vote. Tip of the hat. Well done, Mr. Spielberg. Peter? This is my first tip of the hat. <laughs> and... I'm going to tip my hat. So this is the second inductee of the Quag and the first ever double inductee with Steven Spielberg, which I think is fairly amazing. I, I don't know if you guys are amazed by this as much as I am. No, it is quite amazing. I mean, we've, we've had five and we've inducted two and they happen to be made by the same person. That's interesting. That's good. Yeah. So the next thing is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius a book that is based on the writings of Marcus Aurelius, written in the second century, that is basically a collection of his thoughts, which were influenced by Stoicism and contemporary philosophy. Um, this one is, I think we, we agreed that, unfortunately, what took over this was just to realize how much repetition there was in this, um, in this book. And there needs to be something said about how early it is. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, it's written in like the 70s. And when I mean the 70s, <laughs> I mean the 70s. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, look, it's got a lot of wisdom. And I'm sure through um, translations, if you could read the original text, it might be um, a bit different. But the, the translations do come very straightforward. You know, it, it's, it's practical philosophy, which I really quite like. It sort of sparked a bit of, um, especially in recent years. It's it sparked the stoicism movement. It's it's got a lot a lot of good things going for it. I just think maybe a book maybe wasn't the best format to consume this in. So I think if they can just make a thirty minute audio book summary, mm. well, I think that I think they have actually. <laughs> but um, I think there's too many good creators out there that do sort of their take on Stoicism or how Stoicism can be applied to the modern sort of um, nine to five, to the modern sort of capitalist society. Um, there's a lot of sort of minimalists and Stoics out there and even non-Stoics who just have some insights about it that are probably worth your time. 
And this one is this one's good because when you read it, it it does feel you do feel cultured actually. I like from reading this, I I, I do feel a little bit sort of snobby. I, I I felt like yeah, you know, I've read meditations, so it just feels like an achievement. But for me, essential doesn't fit the description of this. Just a bit to continue what what Peter said. Um, the thing that I got from this book is mainly like when I tell people that we're doing this podcast and we do all kind of things, you know, we watch movies and we also read Meditation by Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds sophisticated. We sound, we sound yep. really good. So, so this gives if, it some culture points. <laughs> yeah. So like culture point, like for show po- culture points. That's so, true. <laughs> so that, so that's like the <laughs> glass half full. But to say that it kind of changed something and that I took something from it and th- that kind of still moves with me, I think other than the cucumber metaphor, <laughs> nothing really. That alone might be essential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can induct that line only. <laughs> to me, like this book, it's it's very interesting because it, like Peter said, there's so many translations of this book. Like, I started reading one of them, I moved to another, and then on the third try, I finally found a translation that was interesting to me. <laughs> but there, there's two things that, that are interesting with my experience uh, with this book. First of all, it made me take some time out of my day to do nothing but sit and introspect about different situations in life. Uh, and the second thing is I thought that the conversation we had about this book was really, really deep, really interesting. One of our favorite conversations to this day, which I think both of these are things that, you know, a cultured person does, which, which is good. I think it gives it some culture points. Despite that, I feel that, I, I don't know if this book is for everyone. Like, I think that this book is for people who have already read a few books about philosophy and... I don't know, this comes as another stepping stone. And, and, you know, people who like this kind of books in the first place. I don't know if it's like a book to start getting into philosophy with. I hope in the future we will induct a philosophy book, but this one is not the one. I am giving it my ominous stroke of the mustache. So this is already out, but Barrio... What would you have voted? Stroke of the mustache. Cool. I, I too, am going to give this an ominous stroke of my mustache. All right, so this is out. The next thing we've done is American Beauty by Sam Mendes, a 1999 film that explores quite a few themes by comparing a few characters to each other. And to me, the main theme is finding meaning or finding yourself. So when I think about this movie... I think it's 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 a great example of something that everyone who's interested in storytelling should watch. Like I said, uh, the movie touches quite a few themes and and it does it in a wonderful way. Like you have five main characters, maybe six, and by comparing them, you know, between themselves, you get a few really interesting kind of points about life. I think it, this was so well done. And kind of like with meditations, um, it made me introspect and think about my own life, which, again, I enjoyed. 
I didn't necessarily feel like I closed a major cultural gap by watching this movie. I did mention back when we recorded the episode that I used to see the VHS cover of this movie in our local video store all the time when I was a kid, so I did feel like it was something I was always interested in, but never watched, but I, I don't know where the, where I stand with this movie. I totally loved it. It became one of my favorite movies, but I'm not sure if it's Quag material, though. I think this is one where I'm kind of hoping that you guys would convince me one way or the other. This is interesting, actually. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> Peter, you want, we, we should take like different approaches. And <laughs> yeah, who wants them. to be the devil? Who wants to be the angel? Well, I'll, I'll be the angel. You are always the angel. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you go first for reasons that will become clear in a few minutes. Mm. Ominous. Very, yeah, <laughs> very ominous. Um, <laughs> when you recognize certain elements from uh, a movie in a lot of other TV shows, like I, I said before about Jaws, it just emphasizes that this is a cultural pearl and, and you should watch it and you should know it just, you know, to get better understanding of, of the world and media. But even if you take that out, I think that's, I know, I think for me, it, it still resonated even like a day after. And that's always like a good sign because it, it successfully talks to something that is a bit deeper in the human psyche, I think. Maybe I'm over. Maybe I'm ex- exaggerating, but the, the movie does a great job in communicating the beauty of, of a flying plastic bag, right? And you can also take the people like as the plastic bags, and and you know they don't do anything really, really special, but it's uh, expressed in in a very beautiful way. Um, yeah, there's beauty there if you're willing to find it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think definitely worth watching and it does something more that that is more than the movie itself okay so in my notes i have pre-decided on i've just put a ticker across um but everything is open to be swayed um no matter what it is except for two topics and this is the first where i've put a dash (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking for reasons to be convinced because i was right on the fence and um I really enjoyed it. Like, I would have enjoyed it if we didn't have the discussion, but the discussion made it even better. Um, I think you guys you guys noticed the the theme, or at least can articulate the, the deeper meanings of things probably better than me. So when I say, like, I, I enjoyed the film because it, it is larger than itself, that it, it, not all films do that for me. Um, sometimes I just like the explosions and stuff. But this one... This one really sort of pulls itself up by its bootstraps in terms of storytelling. It's not continuing on from another movie. It's it does something unique in the storytelling. I think that probably the the script and the and the storytelling through the direction is probably the thing that stands out the most to me. And um, I think I think a lot of people should watch this because it says something very specific about the U.S. in in the late 90s which is relevant for what what's happened in the years since i'm 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 very interested to see how we're gonna vote i think the best way to do this is barrio you'll cast your vote first tip of the hat i'll go next and i am going to give this drum roll a tip of my hat peter Ah, so you've put me in the position. I, I see why you jumped in there to go second. <laughs> because you know 
Uh, I, uh... No, oh, oh, don't <laughs> so think you... about it. I, I just wanted to keep the surprise for me. I didn't want to be spoiled because I knew how I was going to vote after Barrio talked. Okay. <laughs> Peter, okay, are you going fair. to inside us again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, luckily I don't need to. This one I'm giving the gentlemanly tip of the hat. Yes, that's good. Yeah, you convinced me, Barry. Yep, you, you convinced, convinced me, me as well. This... Tip of the hat to both of you, sir. The, I'm, I'm happy for this to be in the guide alongside um, Jaws. Yeah, so this is the third inductee into the quig. Very well done. So, next up is Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. A 1966 progressive rock pop album that was mainly written by Brian Wilson and is considered one of the best albums of the 60s. So, um, here's what I think. Out of all the albums we've covered in this podcast, this isn't my favorite one. I think that the Beach Boys is such a big name. They have so many songs that kind of everyone can recognize. Um, this album specifically is considered to be one of their best Uh, it's an important album of the time. I think it's, you know, for a person of culture, um, this is a name that you should know. Like, you should be able to recognize a few Beach Boys songs, even if they're not your favorite band, even if even if it's not really your style. I think this is something that you should be able to recognize. Um, I did feel like I got a close look at an album that had a major influence at rock and pop music. I also feel like this album is a masterclass in combining more complicated aspects of music in really easy-listening music. Uh, you know, this really shows how deep of an understanding Brian Wilson has of music and how he can take really interesting stuff and make it so easy to listen to. And while this isn't my favorite album of all times, I think that there's a lot to take from it. Like, um, something in the approach to writing this album is really interesting to me, and I think it shows some ideas and concepts that even if you're not applying them to writing music specifically, they might be, in a way, inspirational. Um, this one is just a fantastic album um, in my book. It's another one of those albums like Deja Vu, which I, I consider to be relatively flawless um, or essential to me. Look, it's one of the biggest bands at one of the biggest times. This is almost a direct response to um, the Beatles, such as Revolver, but probably more accurately Rubber Soul. It's um, it it's got some deceptively simple rhythms, and um, something I really like about this album, which I probably can't say about Deja Vu, is that you could take pretty much every song from this album and you you don't need the instrumentation and you don't need these particular singers there's something about the melody that anyone can reproduce and it will sound good is it's like a good poem or or just any song that doesn't really require any any particular medium it's it's hard to describe but it 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 just feels like it has such a good fundamental structure to it that the fact that there was some really great sort of guitar or like you know um sort of like xylophone that's almost just feels like a bonus to me and in philosophy that i sort of categorize um sort of papers or books into two categories there's well three i guess there's there's one which is just a faulty argument the logic has gone off course somehow there's another one where it's a good argument and it, it's novel but it, it's fun it, it, it's worth reading but then there's the other which 
is anyone who wants to go further in this field needs to have a response or needs to have some opinion on this sort of philosophical idea. You know, there's some things that can't even be said without tacitly acknowledging whether you agree or disagree with something in philosophy. And I feel like in music, there's no way of reconstructing music history uh, later than 1966 without recognizing how this album has played a role in influencing those those artists you know it, it's it's something you can't take away without creating some sort of hole in the in the history of music for me it's not I wouldn't say it's best in class um, there's uh, there's there's there might be better albums to listen to but I I feel like this one is something that everyone should recognize so um, if, if I was having a conversation and we were talking about music and, and they, th- everyone has their own tastes and, um, preferences, but I feel like you've either got to listen to it and like it or listen to it and not like it. But even if you don't, I, I feel like it is still time well spent. Well said. Well, I was planning to say other things, but, <laughs> but you, you made me doubt myself. I knew you were an existential threat to, to this, so <laughs> yeah. needed to needed to pull out everything. Yeah, I think this album is, like, uh, this subject is one that is very heavily weighted by personal opinions. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much like you said, Peter, it's definitely something that I can see people not liking. I don't think I've really connected to it either. I, I enjoyed listening to it. And again, processing it, it with you guys and kind of realizing that there are other stuff behind it was interesting. But like you go to, to, to a music album in order to hear the music and I don't think I really got into it. But what you said about being like this cultural cornerstone that might be like an important part it made me think because it is. I think there there are a lot of Beach Boy songs also throughout other media. You know, like you keep like I I went to Pet Sounds and I already knew like a couple of songs because I definitely heard them a couple of times before from all over. Um, hmm, I'm not sure. If you two had to think of a reason why not, why would it be? I've got an idea, but it might work for me or against me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm willing to take the risk. With music, right? Music is just one of the most subjective things there is. It's even more than movies, I would say. There's just there's something about not being able to see it and you experience it all in your head. Well, I guess with music, movies, you see it through your eyes, which is in your head. <laughs> but go with me. It, it, it feels intimate in a way that nothing else really does for me. So I think, I think music is probably just inherently more subjective, but... If there had to be a criteria of, of just an objectively essential music album and and it had to be separate from just being voted number one in Rolling Stone or something, like what would it have to be? You know, I don't have an argument to say that it's not essential because I, I don't know what would be essential if if this wasn't. It, it just feels like if someone, if we had to send music to aliens or something, this might be a, this might be a good path to go down, but if we had to send music to aliens or something like that, like what are we sending? Because there's people that really don't like sort of death metal or something like that, and I'd say a lot of people don't like it because it's quite sort of polarizing. But 
for if there was consensus in the death metal community about one album, you know, everyone likes it, but the world at large doesn't, then I don't know like what how I would feel about sending that to aliens, you know, like because it doesn't represent everyone. Whereas this one is 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 sort of different because it is rock music in the '60s was or pop pop rock music was probably the one of the biggest genres. Yet today, it, it it's sort of everyone sort of looks at fondly, but it's not obviously being played as much as it was. So yeah, I'm I'm not sure if 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 um because music is subjective, maybe maybe consensus is all it is. If if everyone likes it, then that's good enough. Or if there's something more objective, like the the if I went down the objective track, I would say the fact that the medium isn't as important for this album as it is for Deja Vu. On the on the negative side, it has to be said that even though there might be good melodies, it might just not be for you. It's not for everyone's taste. But then again, music is hard to satisfy everyone. And if it does satisfy everyone, then I don't know, it might not be as deep. So you know, maybe the quag is for is what we think people should experience because it needs to be experienced, or because we think it's something awesome that they would like. No, uh, the the former. Okay, this is something people should experience, whether they whether they like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, deja vu. I actually like deja vu. Maybe more. Actually, uh, yeah, I listen to deja vu a lot more than pet sounds but i i feel like pet sounds i would i think is more essential i totally agree and that is why i'm going to give this a tip of my hat i am also going to give it a gentlemanly tip of the hat and now drum roll please oh man oh man <laughs> how does it feel i'm i'm really i'm really split about this if you're split because of social pressure, don't. You can vote no. It's fine. That's the thing. Because if, if I needed to, to pick something and send to outer space, it wouldn't be it, right? I don't think it represents anything that is very, very essential in the human condition, right? But if we're talking about experiencing something, then maybe it should be experienced. But there are so many other things that should probably be experienced as well so i'm not okay so it's a no it's a no yeah okay i got it that was a big one yeah so uh <laughs> um comb of the mustache or <laughs> comb strokes, of the... <laughs> strokes. well i'm combing mine so look i'm happy i'm happy with the effort that like we tried yeah, no so the fact that, that he was on the fence yeah was surprising to me now let's go from one of the probably hardest votes to what i think must be the easiest one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next thing is Man on Wire by James Marsh, a 2008 documentary film that tells the story of Philippe Petit, who in 1974 has tied a tightrope between the two World Trade Center towers and performed a walk between them. Okay, so Man on Wire. When I was watching it, it was pleasant. It was okay. Like, uh, I, I, I wasn't wanting to switch it off or anything like that. I was happy to watch it through. Mildly entertaining. There was some story there. I guess you know he survives, so it takes away some <laughs> of the thrill. And and, and after our, our talk was good, but it we didn't really have a lot to go off because it wasn't particularly deep. I thought there might have been some deeper themes, you know, to do with human triumph, but it was really a lot about logistics of 
how they're setting up the wire and like <laughs> getting away from the authorities <laughs> and yeah it it just wasn't as important as i once thought so okay i'll we'll state one last time i had a good time when i watched it right but i am not sure if i would even be comfortable recommending it to people to watch as in like not even as an essential movie, but just if someone said, should I watch it? I'm not even sure if I could say yes to that. So, to say it would be essential is just one rung that looks just so high, you know? <laughs> it just feels so out of reach. So <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Peter. <laughs> Did you even enjoy watching it? I, I, I truly <laughs> waited for it to be over. And I think those were one of the movies where you're like, okay, okay, I wish it was it would be done, but okay, I get I get the I get the notion. Yeah, they're they're hiding under the tarp and and they want to walk on a rope. And okay, it's it's okay, okay. And then when the movie ends, I actually found myself disliking it a bit more because I I you know I I resigned it for wasting my time. <laughs> I was like, damn you. Man on the road. <laughs> Man on wire. Uh, <laughs> on wire. <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, here's what I feel. If like, you I persuade think... us, if you yeah. persuade us here, that would I'm gonna be try. incredible. <laughs> so to me, I think I enjoyed this movie more than both of you. Maybe more than both of you combined. What's zero plus zero? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. Go on. I think that the story in a vacuum is very exhilarating, is very interesting, is very inspiring. And I do understand that after years of telling it probably over and over and over again, parts of the story sound exaggerated and Petit sounds full of himself. But if you can kind of give Petit a pass and find a way to ignore these flaws in the movie and just focus on the story itself and what he's done, kind of take away the exaggerations and kind of imagine it in a more plausible way. I think it's a really amazing story. And all in all, I still have positive feelings for this movie, you know? And I don't know, I, I honestly think that this is something I would think about again. Not may, maybe not this um, documentary movie, but I don't know, when maybe when I hear of someone else doing something daring in the future, it'll remind me of Philippe Petit, you know? So just just a, a very inspiring. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I would want to be known for something as daring as he did. You know, if it's the only one thing in life that you've done that you're known by, this isn't bad. <laughs> um, but I totally understand the, the points you guys made. So, I can't expect you guys to vote it in there, but I would hate it if such an inspiring story would get zero hat tips. So, just out of respect, I'm going to give it my tip of the hat. Well, if I was watching this in a vacuum and they said, you can have air after watching it, <laughs> I don't know. It's a 50-50 call for me. <laughs> I am giving it very ominous uh, stroke of the mustache. I'm disappointed you voted yes, because you only voted yes because you knew we would vote no. You know what? No, you're right. Um, I can't say this is essential. I can't say I would recommend it to anyone. I do think this is a very interesting story. I think 
maybe not this movie, but this is a story that people should know. I think Philip Petit's name is, is something that people should know, you know? But you're right. This isn't in the spirit of the Quag. I'm taking my hat tip back and I'm stroking my mustache. This is a no. I like that the only retrospective change has occurred in, in Man on Wire. It feels... <laughs> <laughs> if you can take that out of context, it just feels so um, controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, next up, Hunt for the Wilder People, a 2016 adventure comedy film by Taika Waititi about a rebellious kid and his reluctant foster uncle who end up running into the New Zealandian bush to escape the authorities... Um, the second chance for a double inductee in Sam Neill. Look, this one actually kind of reminds me of Jaws, because obviously Jaws was set on the open ocean, but this one is set in the New Zealand wilderness. And so it does feel sort of like a one of a kind to me. Obviously, there's a lot of movies that um, people were running around the, the woods, but it it does feel unique, like, because there hasn't I don't know if I can say if I've even heard of a New Zealand film before 2000. It just, it feels like a, like a more recent sort of development. Um, these new sort of Taika Waititi movies, you know, yeah. this new sort of brand of comedy. And uh, when I look at the Taika Waititi, I've, I still want to watch um, What We Do in the Shadows, but I know we've seen Jojo Rabbit and um, I've seen um, the third Thor movie. So... Um, just just going off those, they all have a similar kind of thread, but um, obviously very different movies. But this one, I feel like, is great for if if someone's looking for a movie to watch. I feel really good about recommending this it, because not everyone knows it. So first of all, it's not. Oh, have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? Yep. Okay. Well, you know that's that's the end of conversation. But this one is, I think, not many people have seen it for how good it is, and. Um, I think more people should watch this. Like, I can't say that with many other movies like um, Steven Spielberg. I feel like everyone who's who wants to see it has probably seen it, except for us because, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're uncultured. But um, this one is something definitely where, like, I feel like it needs, like, a second round of marketing. It just it just feels like such an easy pick for a good movie night, you know? And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's essential. There's there's some great movies out there that probably wouldn't be essential. But the reason I think it it probably could be defined as essential is because it's it, it's part of this new wave of um of movies set in New Zealand. It, it it's an up and coming director, so um it you know it will be nice to see what he does over his career when he's just starting out now. It feels subjectively very enjoyable for me, but also I, I feel like it's unique enough to be considered, at least for the Quig. To me, this is a very charming movie. I think we all at least liked it. And I can it pushed me into watching a few other movies that were directed by Taika, and I loved all of them. I'll tell you right now, I'm not entirely sure how to vote about this movie, because I feel that if it would have been... Uh, what We Do in the Shadows, another Taika movie. I would have voted yay, without a doubt. It's one of the most original comedies, one of the funniest comedies I've seen in a very, very long time. Um, also, if it would have been Jojo Rabbit, I would have also voted it uh, in without any hesitation. I think it's the peak of Taika's in terms of combining a sad, touching story in a complicated setting with a bunch of jokes and funny moments. Again, this is a Jojo Rabbit a very deep, very 
kind of sad movie. One of the movies I've left the most in in a long while. <laughs> but Hunt for the Wilder People, it's a more simple, small movie. Like, I can promise you'll have fun watching it. I don't know if it's enough for the quig. I'm kind of with you. I think like when when you're getting into Taika Waititi, then definitely you should watch that movie. But the movie as itself is, is good, but not essential. I'll go first. I love Taika. I love these movies. Like, I love all of these movies that I've watched. I really like this one. Again, if you watch this, you're promised a good time. Is it essential? I'm going to say no. I'm going to give it a stroke of my mustache. As well, another stroke. Um, I, I, on my list, I've, I've put down a tick, but um, I'm, I, I was swayed by your arguments, actually. I, I, I'm going to give this a stroke of my mustache. It's a very sad stroke of the mustache because I really, really love this. I love Taika. I would have loved to have Sam Neill as a double inductee. But what are you going to do? Skok's life, man. Skok's life. <laughs> that's, what, that's what really brought it down, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, Last Chance to See, a book from 1990 by Douglas Adams and Mark Cowardine about their travels around the world and their effort to go and see endangered species. I feel that this book is something everyone should read. I'm done. <laughs> No, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about the subject matter in the book or the sad fact that it's still as relevant today as it was 30 years ago when the book came out. I think that out of all of the nonfiction books that I've ever read, this is the one with the best writing I've ever come across. Like, Douglas Adams' writing in this book is so good. I often found myself stopping every couple of sentences just to appreciate it or just to laugh. I was amazed by how good it was, and I think that anyone with a bit of culture could appreciate this. Um, to add to that, the book sheds light on something that happens all around us, everywhere, all the time, and I would dare to say that most people don't really know about it. Um, I know it's anecdotal, but everyone I know who's read this book has loved it, and I think this is quake material. I really love the writing, and not only did I just stop um, reading just to process it, but... I was laughing like out loud sometimes, and also after I I read this, I I went on to read um, or listen to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Those ones. So I, I listened to the first two, and um, I probably like this. I I do like this more than Hitchhiker's Guide actually, because I I do sort of have a bit of a nonfiction bent, and um, yeah, this was great. You were learning things, but. You were learning things on such a personal level. It didn't feel like facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> it felt it felt very much like a personal sort of story. And to add to that, he's British and he has all the all the great traits that British writers have, like a quick wit. You know, ah, oh, there's just so many great moments. Yeah, it, it's very good. The only thing I'll say um, against it is, it is. I don't know. I, not of niche interest, but it's definitely um, it feels small in in the sense of the world. It just it just it I don't know. It just feels small. Um, I I've never heard of the book before, and I don't think I've seen anyone talk about it besides us three. It's 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 a big world in a small book. Maybe this gets the uh, obscure cultural points. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
I agree that it's kind of like a small book in a, in a big world. Like if we had the Hitchhiker's Guide in in the if we had an episode about it, that would definitely should have gone in in the Quig. I think they're crazy and mind blowing and you know have a lot of of different aspects, but a lot of those aspects are also in Last Chance to See because of of Douglas Adams. And and yeah, it feels it feels small, but it it brings in something that the hitchhiker doesn't and and that's relevance like you Inon said and i think it kind of fuses both of those things really well it's funny and and amusing and relatable there are there are a lot of things he writes there from you know uh conflicts between people and and sleeping on on uncomfortable beds etc and and dealing with bureaucracy that you know everyone can resonate with and the actual stories of those animals and what happens with them and and things that we should learn and and you know i think it was the first book that when, once i got to the epilogue i actually it, it was interesting it wasn't part of the story anymore it was a bit more general it told things about what happened with with those species and and what happened to some of the scientists there and all in all it was a very enjoyable experience so while it's definitely not something that is mainstream or or maybe even you, you know maybe it's not essential but it's something that I would want like to see that it becomes essential you know I would want to see it like as something that is in everyone's reading list you know like everyone's talking about uh you know, war and peace and 1982 Four. Four. Thank you. I think it's the second time that I that I con- yeah. confused uh, in this podcast. <laughs> Never mind. Get it all, all out in editing. Uh, um, so everyone's everyone's talking about those books, and I think that this is definitely a book that that I I like to push into the essentials. I totally agree. I think this is a book that should be mentioned in the same breath with all of the big ones. <laughs> Maybe it's a bold claim, but I, I, I agree with you. Uh, and that is why I, I'm giving this a definite tip of the hat. Me too. Oh, I, I, oh my God. Two hat I tips. Didn't, I didn't expect this pressure. Is he going to <laughs> inside us? <laughs> Do you want me to tell you what I had in my notes? Yeah. Yep. Uh, this one was a cross. Oof. I didn't really think that long. I just thought it was so small that I wasn't going to worry. But now I'm thinking back to how good it was. It's part of it. But it maybe part of it. Maybe a cultural person should go beyond the mainstream and go into the smaller things in life. Okay. Um, be the change you want to see. Like, the only reason I, I am not going uh, or I wasn't going to vote a down for this is because, well, it's not essential for anyone else but us. It, it just, you know, it... Just doesn't <laughs> doesn't feel <laughs> like it's um it's big enough. But you know what? What's the point of doing our own guide if we can't put what we want in? Oh fuck! <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh, okay. You put you put the wrong one. I am giving it a tip of my hat. Awesome. That's that's really awesome. <laughs> I think this is classic quick material stuff. Uh, I'm really happy. Oh, I'm this so happy. I was on the edge of my seat there. <laughs> <laughs> For the listeners at home, uh, we have the Google Sheets document open in front of us, and we're all filling in our votes. And Peter accidentally put in the the red down vote. 
Yeah. Uh, and, accidentally. And we accidentally <laughs> as well. I've got on opening segment ideas, the other tab, my own set of up and downs. So then you guys don't see what I'm using to sort of copy and paste into the cell. So then it's secret. <laughs> and I thought I had the green icon highlighted so it's gonna be like bam yeah you know be the change you want to see bam and then i saw it was red and i was like oh shit wait 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 yeah. i thought you wanted to be the wrong change you know? <laughs> so welcome to the quag last chance to see douglas adams next up all-star superman a 12-issue Superman comic series that was released between 2005 and 2008 that is widely loved by new readers and by more experienced readers. Um, when I introduced it, I had actually already read it, and um, so I sort of knew a little bit about how popular it was, and it was it is a popular book um, in the sort of the DC Comics world, or even the comics world. Like, there's um, if I had to rank the how popular Superman books are, I think objectively is probably top two or three. And um, look, every, like the thing I, I I made the point in, in the um, podcast was every issue, every chapter, it was all, um, it, it just changed um, so much. Like it, it didn't, it, it felt like there was such a unique story in every sort of issue. And they sort of came together to sort of create like an overarching story. And um Look, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the art. I enjoyed um, the dialogue, except for one chapter with the Zabaro. And <laughs> um, <laughs> and look, uh, there's not too many flaws. We, I think we all agree there was that scene where Superman convinces these two people from um, his home planet Krypton um, to sort of essentially stop being bad people and start being good people. And that... That change of um, philosophical intent just occurred over uh, about two pages, and that that was odd. But besides that, there's not too many flaws I can I can find with it. And um, to address the something that's becoming um, increasingly divisive or important or controversial is just like even apart from whether we like that, is it essential? You know, and I think. As a comic, I think it's essential. Um, if I recommend it, I would probably put this in my most recommended comics. But I think what's more interesting is just because it's the only comic we've done, does that make it essential? I don't want to vote for it just because it's the only comic we've done and it happens to be a good one, you know? So, hmm. look, I've got my leanings, but I'll just say, like, personally, I enjoyed it and I hope everyone else did. And um, there's not too much critical I can say about it. I did enjoy it. I all in all think that like you have to know who's Superman in this day of age. Like he's definitely become something that is mainstream. There's there's a lot of things like I knew a lot about Superman without reading any single comic book until then because there's so much things out there about Superman. And and all in all I think it was a nice experience. I'm I'm not sure if I would recommend this to other friends. I'll listen to what you have to say now. I don't have a lot to say about this one. I definitely enjoyed reading it. I definitely enjoyed talking about it with you guys. All in all, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't feel like we made a huge step towards being cultured. Like you said, Barrio, Superman is such a basic thing. Everyone knows him, so reading a, a Superman comic is a maybe a big step toward being cultured. But 
the biggest thing in my mind is that this just didn't stick in my head for too long. You know, I didn't keep thinking about it for a while. It did make me want to read more comics, which is a good sign, but like the story didn't resonate with me too much. I, I didn't want to keep analyzing it or anything. I just don't know if this is it, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about voting this into the Quag. And I, I know it's not going to make it, but I knew that beforehand going into it that um, it's probably going to be one, maybe two votes, but I think I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Can we, like, cast a vote but uh, add, like, another condition to it? Because, like, I would recommend this as a comic book experience. So you know what? I'm gonna also going to give it an upvote, but wow. I'm gonna but I'm gonna add a comment about as a general comic book experience. Although I, I, I'm not really sure that I have some kind of a <laughs> authority to say that because I don't really know anything about it. But like I enjoyed it. I think <laughs> it, it's it's like a nice place to start with with comic books. Okay, um, and I'm gonna go last. I. In my notes, I wrote, I reserve the right to be convinced um, because I was on the fence with this one. Uh, and honestly, I just don't think this is Quag material. I think that's fair. I, I it didn't affect me enough. I like. I kind of expect things that are in the Quag to be things that I am always kind of at least a bit passionate about, you know? Like things that once they're mentioned, I'd be excited. And this... You know, um, I'm not sure if this is it for me. I'm going to give it a stroke of my mustache. Bam. Next up is Mom's Classics, which is to say we're not, we're not voting about classical music as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> we're voting about my mom. Yeah. <laughs> are, we, are we just saying as a whole, should you put these five in a playlist and listen to them? Exactly. This we're not going to vote individually. For no, each we're not going to vote individually. Okay. We're going to vote uh, on this collection as a whole, yeah. I think. And also not about putting it in the playlist. I think about simply experiencing them, like we said before. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You uh, don't yeah, have yeah. to come out of this knowing all of these five by heart, knowing how to play these on a violin. No, it's just a collection of symphonies, and we're talking about the experience. Because let me tell you, Barrio's mom definitely gets a tip of my hat. <laughs> oh, rude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we're going to vote about a collection of five symphonies selected for us by Barrio's mom. The symphonies are thus. Beethoven's fifth, Brahms' third, Dvorak's ninth, Mahler's first, and Sibelius's second, which is the alphabetical order. But funnily enough, this is also the exact same order in which Peter ranked them. Huh. Hmm. Yep. I enjoyed it, really. But I also grew on it, so I think it's kind of like, you know, the bread and butter of classical music. And that I think that classical music is kind of like the bread of, and butter of, of music. Like, I think even if you're not listening to, to classic music all the time, which I certainly am not, experiencing them is a special special thing to do and 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 like getting to know them at least a little is something that you will find useful when listening to other stuff because there there are a lot of like you can't ignore you know the effects of classical music on on every kind of music like you can hear it everywhere so i think it's a good place to start 
Um, look, I've really enjoyed the experience uh, a lot more than I thought. And um, yeah, it, it also, it's not taking up too much time. It's, it's relatively easy to sort of put it on and just relax. And um, look, I, I've got to be convinced though. I, I, do, I don't know, sort of similar to Barrio's um, point about All-Star Superman, I don't know enough about symphonies to really say this is where to start. Like, it, it helps that it's obviously a collection that it's just organically being sourced. I, I do hope we do more um, classical music in the future, but it would have been nice to have something else to contrast it with. So without the contrast, I'm, I'm sort of... I'm hoping you guys uh, will um, help me decide a little bit on this one. Here, here's what I think. I think that if Beethoven hasn't earned a place in the culture guide, then the guide is no good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what's his culture more than classical music, right? And that, if that is not enough, then the fact that we've all really enjoyed it and we all kind of felt that we've learned from it, I think... Uh, I think is a good sign. We've really stepped outside of our comfort zones with this one. And I think we all were pleasantly surprised. We definitely chose too many symphonies for one episode and we were all overwhelmed. And um, I also kind of want to mention that while I think there's a lot of things that we've done that I want to go deeper in, like comic books uh, that we've just mentioned, I feel that this the classical music is something we will have to do um, in the future. Like like I've said a thousand times, to me, being cultured is is a lot of things. We have movies and and music and stuff that is pop culture and that is part of culture. And another major part of culture is classical music. And this collection of symphonies is a stepping stone towards culture. I'll I'll be the first to cast a vote, and I give it a tip of my hat. Mario, a tip of the hat. Peter, I give it. An ominous stroke of the mustache, guys. Wow. Inside it, yes, again. I was on the fence, and if you stopped me at any point in that conversation, there was a few changes of heart. But I'm just looking at the ones we've voted in, and I just feel I feel so proud to have them in the in the Quag. And I just I don't know if I feel the same valor about this. It's yeah, I, I, I really took your point as well about Beethoven. If that's not in the quag, then reason falls apart. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, uh, if you guys can convince me, if, you, if you'd like to say anything else, then feel free. I, I kind of had a feeling from the start that, that we're going to have to tackle classical music. Like in general, I'm not, I'm not speaking about the specific five that we did. Because, like, when I think about, even when you imagine, uh, you know, the first image to come to your mind when you're thinking about a cultural man, you you imagine someone, you know, sitting by the fireplace with on a on a red couch, right, sipping whiskey and listening to classical music. So, my feeling is that definitely we need classical music to be in there. And although I do have uh, the sentiment for the five that we listened. I don't have this really wide understanding of classical music. To my experience, uh, in that way, it was it was good as as any. Like f- for for argument's sake, it, they could be the best five symphonies ever created. And I think 
it's a major part of the journey to get acquainted with something that is so fundamental and is so complex. And I think consuming this piece of culture, for me, it was an easy, an easy call because like, it's, it's part of the definition of, you know, experiencing culture. You know, when, when we're looking at things that are, you know, under the big umbrella of culture, we're mostly looking at things that maybe move us, you know, kind of make us feel something, make us feel something that we can recognize in other people. Maybe we can, for a minute, assume that we're feeling the same things. And to me, nothing says moving more than classical music. And specifically, um, these five, out of these five, there are like two symphonies that are of my favorites, Beethoven's Fifth and Dvorak's Ninth. They might not be the, the symphonies I would recommend as a starting point, but listening to these encapsulates most of the feelings that I can feel. Like they have high points, they have low points, they have relaxing points, they have tense points, they have everything. And to me, out of everything we've done, maybe this is the thing that will affect my feelings the most. And the, I, I totally get your point, but nothing says culture more than this. But no pressure, Peter, no pressure. And um, you'll always be remembered as the one who denied Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Go with your heart. I think I've changed my mind in probably the last two minutes about five times. It, it just... It, it's it feels very weighty to me like to say no to to classical music i <laughs> this is i'm so i just don't know what i don't know it it just feels i don't know maybe i missed something or but it just it just doesn't it's a biggie it is a biggie i don't want to vote it in just because it's classical music that's that's a little bit my my problem it's a good point and I'm going to stick with no. I'm going to stick with no. There was a stage there where I was going to cut you off and say I'm changing my vote as well. And to both of you, actually, I was uh, halfway through Barrio and halfway through Inon's uh, speeches. <laughs> um, I, was, <laughs> I was going to say, you know what, That that's a good point. Personal opinion aside, it, it just feels um, important enough that it should be essential you know because it's not culture quest what we liked guide it's culture quest essentials guide if we're going to have our own guide i feel like and and not just our own guide but we put down approved by all three i just i don't know if i could look at the page and and look honestly at it and say i approved it you know i totally respect that um Mostly because I don't have a choice, but uh, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> no, I totally, I do respect this. This is uh, part of the process. Since the beginning, hearts were to be broken, and this is the tough process of creating a culture guide. Okay, up next is Firefly and Serenity, a Joss Whedon TV series from 2002 and movie from 2005 about the crew of the Serenity, led by Malcolm Reynolds, the TV show and movie combine the genres of sci-fi and Western movies. Just a quick uh, thing is, are we separating, can we vote in, 
I don't know, Serenity and vote out Firefly, for instance, or? I don't think so. I think we'll take this, like we've done with the uh, Mums Classics, we've taken the main subject of that episode. And the main subject of this episode has been Firefly and Serenity. All right, okay. Um, to me, this is a big one. I think we've learned a lot from Firefly. Amazing storytelling, great atmosphere. The characters are deep. Everyone can find someone to connect with in the show. I feel like by watching this, we've sort of entered this secret community of Firefly mourners or something. And again, I know it's anecdotal, but I don't know anyone who's watched Firefly, whose face doesn't light up when you mention Firefly, and then a few seconds later, their face darkens when you say something like, shame it was cancelled, eh? This is an amazing TV show and a pretty good movie. It ticks a lot of checkboxes for me because I had so much fun watching this, and I was so bummed out when it was over. I have strong feelings for this one. I'm completely with you. I kind of came with, with actually... My expectations were not low, but they weren't up through the roof. Like I, I Because I, I tried watching it before, and I kind of fell asleep and never tried it since. And, and, like, and when re-watching it now, it was a whole new experience. It was nothing like I remembered. Good pace, interesting characters. The atmosphere, I think that's, that's the trick. Like, it, it's surprising how much, uh, you know, cowboys in space work. It was really enjoyable. You know, even when leaving the movie out, when, and, and it was a decent movie, just the TV series is awesome. And what you said about like joining the community, I think that's an awesome feature for watching this because it, it, it's not that mainstream and there are a lot of interesting stuff around. And, and the, these are one of the things that you realize how many, th- how many people did watch it uh, once you're in that community. Yeah, I agree with what you guys said. I think the story behind the show is important. I think joining the the community of Firefly mourners, it's easy to say, obviously, because we enjoyed it. If we didn't enjoy it, even though we knew there was a sub-community or something like that, maybe maybe it would be a tougher choice. But because it was the, the, the TV show was a slam dunk for me, and the movie as was not as good, but it was still pretty good. I, I said in the podcast that, I wish they just did three more episodes of the show instead of the movie. But you know what? I'm happy to join them together and say, yeah, it's just great. And it's an important moment in um, sort of culture, history. It gets brought up a lot in TV shows um, about, you know, everyone's favorite show was canceled in the first season or after the first season. It just fits the definition for me of essentials. And also, it helps that it is one season in terms of um, recommending it to people. Like, if it was, like, a 12-season, like, an NCIS or something, I guess there's more weight to be put on the decision because you're telling someone to dedicate a lot of time. Whereas this is still a lot of time, but I just feel like it's just just good enough. I think they were cancelled mid-season. Like, they have 14 episodes, and I think there were supposed to be more which I think makes the story even a bit more tragic. I'm going to give it a gentlemanly tip of the hat. Same. And I am going to vote it out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, A big tip of the hat for me. Firefly, Serenity, welcome to the guide. Next up is Queen, live at Wembley Stadium, which is a live album from 1986 that is a recording of Queen's second-to-last concert 
with the original four members of the band. The concert is nearly two hours and consists of a bunch of Queen's classics. So this concert was actually sort of inspired by the previous year's um, performance at Live Aid in 1985. And obviously the Bohemian Rhapsody movie sort of depicts it, but um, it was, it, it, it's big. It's, um, there was uh, Led Zeppelin there, Eric Clapton was there, you know, it, it was probably one of the biggest moments in music history. Um, it's up there with Michael Jackson's Moonwalk at Motown 25. For me, if instead of doing Queens live at Wembley Stadium, we just did Live Aid and we watched the full Live Aid thing, that would just be essential straight up for me. Because this is really just one performance by one band. It, it, it does feel like it is quite niche. We went straight past their studio albums and we went straight into a live album, which is good because partly why I chose it is because we get a bit of everything. You know, we, we can... We can have a bit of a taster of all these albums. And um, I think we're all impressed. Um, I know since this, I've probably listened to at least 100 hours of Queen. Yeah, it's been great. Like, I really don't have a bad thing to say. Uh, the only thing I will say is a, a small addendum is that I've been listening to Queen's um, Live in Montreal. And I actually prefer that concert. So I, totally um, agree. I, can't, I can't even say it's my favorite Queen concert yet it's um yet this one might even be more essential would you say would you agree by saying this is more essential than montreal i think so i totally agree that the the show in montreal was i i like the sound better i like the choice of the songs maybe a bit better Uh, this one just feels iconic yeah i I totally agree yeah so I, i i really enjoyed it so as someone who always was interested in queen but I knew only a few songs. I never really got into them. This album made me take the plunge. I now know this band better than I ever have, and I'm really happy for it. I really am enjoying this album every once in a while and other albums all the time. I listen to them a lot now. And I think that people who don't really know Queen's uh, music can still enjoy this a lot. Like, it has a bunch of hit songs throughout, and I have a feeling that anyone who would give this album a fair chance, that is like, I don't know, two or three listens, I think would get sucked into it and sucked into the band. Like, I think this album would convince you to listen to more Queen. And Queen, I feel, is a major band to get into, even if you're not exactly into rock music. I think that Queen's music is more than just rock. It's great music, you know? I think anyone can appreciate that. And unless you're like Peter's dad, and Queen's music just doesn't work for you. What? Oh, I remember Wh- that. Which I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it bothered me. <laughs> no, I- I'm kidding. But I think... If you have a uh, dartboard um, with my dad's face, then you <laughs> tend to remember them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I-, I think this is a major album from a major band which transcends a single genre. I think this is an important moment in music. I think uh, it deserves a lot of praise. Yeah. Queen is amazing. Freddie Mercury is the best singer slash performer that that I ever heard. I haven't watched the actual video of of the of that show because of personal reasons. Yeah, for personal reasons, exactly. Because <laughs> um, reasons. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, like in general, Queen I think is one of the band that for me is essential. Like I think even if you don't like them, definitely should try and experience them. You know, whether if you hear it 
by yourself or, or at the party or, or anything like that just works? Um, nothing more to say. I'm going to give it a tip of my hat. Um, in, my, in my notes, this was the second one with the dash. So this was the um, undecided. And um, I think what you said, Inon, by this got me to take the plunge, I think that's... I was decided at that point because um, that that's essentially what the podcast is for. So, like, we can't cover everything, of course, but we we try to give people something to hook onto, you know, whether it be classical music or a comic or um, even... Even one of our favorites, <laughs> Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we really just try to get get your nails in and then you can go wild and explore stuff. Um, so, yeah, probably take the plunge is a good good idea. The only reason I didn't want to put it in was I'm forgetting why I didn't want to put it in. That's a good sign. Yeah. I, I didn't know you, you were going to vote... Um, to put it in and on because I, I noticed when you finish your your comment you didn't say anything about it being essential i thought you were going to try to pull a tricky one on us and like say how good it was and then not vote it in but look um i'm gonna vote it in i think the fact that it's uh, a live album shouldn't weigh it down i think i think it, it should actually probably prop it up i think um i was looking at it too negatively i think i think why should someone watch a particular performance on a particular night rather than go through the stuff that they've well i guess they've officially released this but why shouldn't they go through the stuff that they've spent hours and hours on in the in the studio but they've already done all those hours and then they've performed them many times and then this is the culmination of all of that emotion so i think i'm going to give it a gentlemanly tip of the hat uh, welcome queen to the guide um next up Flight of the Concords, a TV show named after and created by the comic duo Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie. Um, the show follows Brett and Jermaine, two New Zealanders living in New York, as they try to find success with their band, Flight of the Concords. It's fun. It's mildly amusing. What is Essentials for if it's not fun and mildly amusing, right? <laughs> the guide for mildly amusing. I think I think it's very different. I guess it's different from the from the norm as as Seinfeld used to be. You know, a show about nothing. So this is like a completely new direction on nothing with songs and robots sometimes. Um I'm not sure if I have anything else to say about that. That's pretty much my experience of it. It it was nice. It was fun. Didn't change my life. So that's about it. Yeah, look, it was really mildly amusing. So, <laughs> um, I think I actually might have enjoyed it a little bit more than you two. Because it does have that sort of New Zealand comedy, which is, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. I don't really feel like I wasted my time either because, like, it was really easy to watch. Like, just put my feet up and while I'm eating dinner or something, it was just a good sort of thing to have on. And um, I would... I would definitely point people towards or in the direction of their live shows. I think they're probably a bit more refined and showcases what they're really good at, which is sort of improv and the music side of things. But yeah, this is, it's an easy one to call this one, unfortunately, but um, yeah, it was, it was still fun. I'll, I'll start by saying that I think that mildly 
amusing comedy is a form of art on its own. But as I mentioned in the episode, I think that this type of comedy is like right up my alley. I really enjoy their style. I really enjoy their chemistry. And despite that, I can see why not everyone would enjoy this. I definitely think that Flight of the Concords is the type of off-mainstream hipstery cool thing to know. You know, to be the guy who... Uh, I've watched Flight of the Concords. I think it gets a few culture points for obscurity. But it's really hard for me to call this essential. So uh, do you guys want to vote? Should we have a team meeting? <laughs> Peter, here. Non, here. And I'm here. So stroke of the mustache. Um, I will also give it another ominous stroke of the mustache. And I'll give it um, not very ominous, but a stroke of the mustache. And for today's final vote, Woody Allen's Annie Hall, a movie from 1977 that features a story that I think most people can relate to and a bunch of inventive storytelling techniques. Oh, so I think that out of the three of us, I liked this movie the least. I'd like to, you know, in, in a couple of sentences, I'll, I'll state my feelings about it again. I think that the story is really engaging. It made me consider aspects of my life. Um, I think that the storytelling in this movie is really sophisticated, really inventive, really interesting. Something about the overall feel of the movie didn't work for me. I don't know if it's the actors. I don't know if it's the direction. I, I don't know. Something just didn't work for me. So I didn't really enjoy watching any hall too much. But whenever I think about it, I do feel positively about it. In a way, I think this is a cultural cornerstone. And like I said before, anyone who's interested in storytelling at all should give this a watch. This one was, I, I, I did enjoy this one. It made me feel smart. I liked the comedy. It was very like either get it or forget it. You know, like the, they weren't catering to the lowest common denominator. And yeah, it was a lot of fun actually. And um, I enjoyed sort of Annie's fashion. I enjoyed Alvy's comedy, I guess. I enjoyed the filmmaking techniques probably the most because one of my favorite shows, How I Met Your Mother, very heavily influenced, I can recognize now by some of the techniques um, from the cross-cutting, the subtitles, you know, the um, fourth wall breaking. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. What I would definitely put in, in the essentials is to watch a Woody Allen movie. He also brought us a new style that, that kind of molded a lot of other things. I'm with you with How I Met Your Mother, one of my favorite TV shows as well. I, I enjoyed Annie Hall. I think the acting was good. I think the humor was sophisticated. I think it's a good movie, and it's definitely in one of Woody Allen's uh, top five. You watch like three Woody Allen movies, and you put it in the top five. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I'm only assuming. I'm only assuming he did five. He did five movies. So, no. <laughs> I love this one. So. It's unfortunate I have to give it an ominous stroke of the mustache. Oh. Really? Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm wow. not. I, I think it's I think it's good and it's probably essential for some people. I just don't think it's essential for everyone. I think to say it would be essential is just to forget about a lot of people out there who aren't interested in seeing everything in the film industry. You know, like it just like for people that are setting are going out there to to make films or even um, if they've seen How I Met Your Mother and want to get all the references, I think 
I think it could be essential for those people. But to say it's essential for everyone is is just. I think it's too broad. I just. I don't. I don't think that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Out of interest, Barry, what would you have voted? I would. Have, yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, tipping my hat. Same here. I'm gonna give it a tip in my hat as well, which I think is funny. I think Peter loved this movie and voted. I think nay. I liked it maybe the most. Yeah, the and most. I liked it the least, and I gave it a, a tip of the hat. Funny, but th- this is how things. But work. Peter, that's that's kind of like like in this guide, aren't we kind of guiding towards what we think will be a cultural experience i mean so it doesn't necessarily matter that it doesn't speak to anyone like the the main thing is that it's something that you should try to experience because it's something that we recognize as something that that is within the cultural narrative of of you know western civilization i think there's definitely things that are cultural cornerstones which i would feel very comfortable voting out i don't mm. i i think i think if if it's a cornerstone i think that's one thing but it has to also be it has to feel relevant going forward as well i think i enjoyed it and i think that a lot of other people will enjoy it and um i don't think that's necessarily even essential as well i think there's some things that people should should watch and see that are that they might not enjoy but even saying it's enjoyable, even saying it's a cornerstone, I still, I, I'm willing to concede those points and still not put it in. I don't think anything's important enough to put in, even if we all didn't like it. Not say we all didn't like it, but we, not not every one of us like, liked it. So, yeah, yeah I, I just think there's, I know Woody Allen, it, he has a lot of prestige in his name and I think that's worthy of respecting, and I think we have by watching it. But I think it, the, it's got to stop somewhere, as in we can have respect for things, but if we're making our own guide, I think we've got to be sort of authoritative enough to sort of make the call, you know? And that's what I'm trying to do. It's very interesting. I totally agree. Let, let's summarize things a bit, because we've finished voting. We've voted in five things today which is more than we've expected. We voted in Steven Spielberg's Jaws, Sam Mendes' American Beauty, Last Chance to See by Douglas Adams, Firefly and Serenity by Joss Whedon, and Queen's Live at Wembley from 1986. And I have to say, all of these I'm, I'm very comfortable with having in our guide. I think we've done a good job here today. Five, five is a nice number. Yeah, yeah, five is good. A- including Jurassic Park. We have now six mentions, six inductees. Oh, so at the end of the Jurassic Park episode, we've introduced the subject of the episode we're going to do next. Um, so check it out if you haven't yet. But quickly, I'll mention that we're going to discuss Cowboy Bebop, a Japanese anime TV show from 1997 that is known for having a great soundtrack that features a lot of music that is influenced by a bunch of American styles. It has one season, and I just found out today that there's a movie as well. And that's it, basically. So, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya. Hi, I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And we're the hosts of Happy Hour Gets Weird. 
We get together once a week and talk all things weird from true crime to the paranormal. And somehow we always end up talking about sex, which I love. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. (laughs) Don't forget, we have cocktails too. The best part. Yes. (laughs) Find us wherever you get your podcasts. You could also find us on Instagram or Twitter. Everybody needs a little weird in their life. So join us for happy hour. Cheers to that. Cheers to that.